welcome to another episode of the More Than A Game podcast. Thank you once again for listening or watching uh, this podcast today, whatever the case may be. This podcast is all about basketball, Australian basketball to be precise, but it's also very much about life as we seek to unearth and go deeper into some of the stories and the life lessons that our guests share about life and about the sport of basketball. Well, with me today on the show, I have a very special guest, and uh, he's an NBL commentator, a sports broadcaster, has spent the last 15 or so years commentating and being part of the Fox Sports News family. And uh, I'm speaking of none other than Matt Russell. Matt Russell, welcome to the More Than A Game podcast. G'day, Dan. Thanks for having me. And nice to see you over Zoom rather than over the boundary there at Cogra uh, <laughs> Jubilee or whatever other ground right. we meet at. Like. Yeah, it was a good game, that one, wasn't it? Dragons got yep. up, so all that matters. <laughs> um, mate, uh, well, it's good to see you. Um, first and foremost, uh, how things are travelling. Obviously, you're in difficult times, but um, still working, which is good. Uh, how's the sports broadcasting and commentating going at the moment? I'm blessed, Dan, because yeah. um, Rugby League got back May 28, and despite the odd hiccup after that, uh, has continued uninterrupted, and uh, I'm very lucky to be involved with the sport, I was actually really proud of those involved to get it back when they did and the way they did. And overall, I think the players have been fantastic to adhere to such um, strict uh, levels of biosecurity above and beyond which you and I have in New South Wales. Mm. But then at the same time, deliver the on-field product that I think has been outstanding. You know, mm. you wouldn't know that the grounds have been basically empty. You wouldn't know that the players can't enjoy the life they normally did. You wouldn't know mm. that they're being made to play week in, week out um, without any origin breaks or buys. Uh, apart from a, an injury toll that seems to be quite high this year, the actual on-field product has been fantastic. So I really have been been blessed. And aside mm. from sports commentary, our, our cafe in Wollongong, we've managed to keep that open as well. Mm. And we've got some great customers and uh, very loyal uh, supporters. So, you know, mate, I've, to be perfectly honest, I've never been busy, which I realise mm. in this day and age and in this world, I'm one of the very lucky ones. And it's, uh, you know, mm. sometimes a little bit of guilt washes over you that you are yeah. like that. Yeah, no doubt, mate. Uh, 100%. I can relate to that 100%. So uh, you're in the Wollongong, are you? In the Gong? Yes. Yeah. We moved to the Gong in 1998. So mm. after 21 and a bit years, we're almost locals. Yeah, and, there you uh, go. Yeah, the good thing about it is the Kids love the beach. They're surfers, so we can live within a stone's throw of the beach and not have a a mortgage that uh, is a stone's throw above heaven. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> it's, it's been a good spot for us. Yeah, that's great. Well, along those lines, um, obviously the Illawarra Hawks or the Hawks as they are known now have uh, been in the news, and obviously down there, your local club. So um, what have what have you been uh, observing over the last little while? They've changed ownership, uh, dropped the Illawarra. Uh, name from the the brand, uh, but signed one of the greatest coaches in NBL history in Brian Gorgian. Uh, what's the vibe been down there um, in regards to the new ownership structure? Well, the new ownership structure, I think, has been greeted with positivity and optimism because it was a tough season last year. It's been yeah. a tough few seasons for the coach. Um, you know, immersed between or beside headlines that Rob Beveridge left that um, always a great turnover of players. Um, so I think the new ownership group 
is greeted with cautious optimism. Um, the name I haven't heard a lot of reaction to. Mm. A few people have rolled their eyes and said, why can't they use Illawarra, especially when they're playing all the games in the gong mm. next year? And I agree with that. Uh, I'm very conscious of the fact that any sporting franchise, I believe, has to have a core base mm. and uh, a, a, an area that um, it calls its own. Mm. So... When I heard that there were going to be uh, some games moved away, I thought that's fine so long as the balance is is uh, all good. Um, Fourteen home games in the gong. Let's say they played ten. That's acceptable. But if you get down to seven and seven, then I don't know whether the people of the Illawarra um, would jump at that. Sorry, I just decline this. Um, yeah. I don't know whether people would jump at that if they were seen to have their team being sold and taken around the countryside. So. Mm. Um, yeah, very interesting indeed. I, I don't mind it as such because I think the crowd can still chant Illawarra. We mm. can still see the Hawks as being from the Illawarra. Um, my only gripe would be if they move too many games away from Illawarra. Let's face it, if you're being grown up about it, if they can sell, for want of a better word, four games to other parts of Australia, mm. shore themselves up financially and play the vast majority of games at home, I'm happy with it. Mm. Whether Illawarra is in there or not, I don't really care because the Hawks will always be from the gong and the broader Illawarra in my mind. Yeah, well said, mate. Absolutely. I'm 100% behind you on that one. Um, well, let's dive into um, your career. Um, as We'll come back to the NBL in just a moment. But, um, you know, as, as we've said from the outset, there's a lot going on in the world today. Uh, that's more important than sport. And, um, but for me, I find that sport at this time is a great outlet for many. And not just from an entertainment, watching the point of view, but also... Um, playing it and it's just a great outlet it gets your mind off things especially if you're going through a hard season and I've always been one if you know you are struggling with any type of anxiety or worry or concern get out there go for a run play some sport it does take your mind off it with that said um, you know I'm one that's passionate about sport I see your career and you are obviously someone who's very passionate about sport how did that passion arise in your life? I always loved playing sport as a kid. You know, I grew up in an Australian era where, you know, you went to school and you played sport uh, and you played outside. And um, my staples growing up were soccer, rugby league, cricket. And then as I got older, I branched into rugby union. I just loved sport. I loved watching it. Um, and I loved the stories behind the athletes. Now, I was never good enough, despite my best endeavours, to play professional sports. So mm. I did day one of a business course and then got accepted into a sports journalism course in Canberra. Mm. And because it was uh, uh, not just open, you had to get accepted, I thought, well, it's silly not to take that opportunity. Mm. So I went and studied sports journalism for three years, a lot of fun, met some great mates in Canberra at uni, then went to Orange for my first job at the Central Western Daily Newspaper. And then I've always been fascinated by television. When I was a kid, my mum and dad and grandparents used to call me Square Eyes because I watched so much. But <laughs> I, uh, I loved sport and I loved television as a medium. I just thought it was fascinating. Uh, I went and did a lot of work experience and uh, mm. different sort of um, days at television stations. So when I got a chance after newspapers in Orange to go at, into Win television, mm. I enjoyed that. I love marrying the, the pictures of sport into a story putting it to air, mm. uh, putting the best highlights to air and getting to know the athletes. And then I went from Win TV Orange to Win TV Wollongong where I started doing a bit of news reading um, and, and that was a lot of fun. And then I got a chance to go to 
Sydney and, and work at Fox Sports. They started up in 2005, um, at the very early stages of a 24-hour sports mm. news edition whereby you had to hit a red button on your Foxtel remote to go to this looping um, news, seven-minute news package or seven- to ten-minute news package. And I was working on that. So mm. I basically disappeared in the eyes of my friends and a lot of people because it was so – you had to have subscription television. Then you had to know how to get to it. Then you had to be motivated enough to get to it. But <laughs> it, it was the embryonic stages of Fox Sports News. Mm. And I was working the day Fox Sports News started. I've been associated with it ever since, mm. and I still am. Work with so many wonderful people there. That, that has been the highlight. Yeah. The common-minded people of sports journos, sports newsmen and women. Um, and it's been a real blessing to be involved with that. And then about 2009, I was asked to audition and do some under-20s rugby league commentary. I got that gig, did that mm. for three or four years, and then went into NRL commentary from there. Mm. Uh, and after that, or while I was still doing that, Fox won the rights back to the NBL. And um, I said to Ben Jones, one of the executives at Fox Sports, if you need someone to do some stories or to augment the, the coverage in any way, I'm happy to be involved. I'd love to be involved. I'm a mm. basketball fan. I've worked covering the Illawarra Hawks before. Mm. Let me know how you want me to be used, if at all. And he rang yeah. me back and said, how would you like to call some games? I said, I'd love to. Yeah. Um, and I got on board when Fox first had the rights about mm. 2015, mm. Um, 2016 maybe. Mm. And travelled a lot to Cairns and Townsville and, and got to know the teams and the players really well again. And I've, I've loved being associated with the mm. rise in the NBL. I, yeah. Credit to Larry Kesselman, to Jeremy Lurliga, to all the people at NBL headquarters, Mark Slocum. You go on and on and on. Mm. Um, a lot of people have done a lot of hard work and put a lot of their own uh, time, energy and money into it. Yeah. And as a result, it's right there on the cusp of becoming... Um, well, it already is a, a major player in world basketball, yeah. and I can see it becoming more and more popular in Australia as the Australian antennae to basketball continues to climb. We're seeing, yeah. I walk through the office of Fox Sports, and every second desk's got an iPad on it with NBA playing. Mm, now, mm. the NBL will never be the NBA, mm. but as long as it can be uh, competitive, as long as it can have athletes who are climbing their um, basketball journey, or at the top of it, or mm. big names who are just winding down. It's going to have a, it's going to have a relevant place in the Australian sporting landscape, and I hope to stay involved with it as it continues to climb. COVID will be a headache for them, but it's mm. a headache for everyone. So there's no reason yeah. why they can't beat that. Absolutely, mate. Yeah, well, it's, I'll come back to the rise of the NBA in just a moment. Uh, you touched on it just briefly then, but if I can dive more into the the commentating, the sports, yep. um, broadcasting, journalism, journalism point of view. Um, one of the key things I find in society, people get a bit up, um, upset and frustrated with the media uh, because of the false or speculative reporting. Um, mm. You know, journalism tries to chase the story. It's all about the money and at the sacrifice of truth and uh, the facts of the story. And for me, I haven't known you all that long, but um, observing you and the way you operate, I think facts and, and truth are very much important to you when it comes to your uh, storytelling, your, your journalism. Um, yeah. In terms of, for me, it comes back to the issue of integrity. Um, uh, and for me, if you have integrity in your profession, whatever the case may be, particularly in journalism, um, it's going to go a long way. So I find um, 
maybe the integrity within journalism has eroded over time. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? And if so, is that, is that a reflection of wider society to an extent? Yeah, absolutely. I think the change in journalism is a reflection of society. The news cycle is so much faster now. Mm. So stories come and go. There's mm. so much more vibrancy in terms of let's move on to the next thing. Let's move on to the next thing. Yeah. Um, aside from that, there are so many forms of media. There, I won't go through them because I'll bore you, but there are, mm. compared with 20 years ago, the avenues that you can get your news and current affairs from is multi-layered and varied to unbelievable levels. So everyone is screaming out to be seen, mm. to be clicked on, etc., etc., etc. So I do lament the fact that no one ever questions someone anymore or raises opposition to. It's always person X blasts person B mm. or um, scathing critic. Like the the terminology around. Uh, a quote is often inflamed so much that I don't think it does that person justice. Mm. And the only way I make myself feel better is that the people involved in the story uh, know that that's just the way it is nowadays and that no one is actually thinking that they have necessarily blasted or um, lashed out at, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know what I'm saying? Mm, it's yes. a, um, the language. Uh, and also the fact that the number of times I read some sensational over the top, crazy headline and then i click on it mm. or fool me to the yeah. story and nowhere in the story is the headline relevant to the story yeah that's right then you know what i'm at the point now where i know what websites or what mm. places are hopelessly out of kilter and i don't click on them so mm. i think by you're actually uh cutting off your nose to spite your face you're actually defeating yourself by clamoring for that short-term hit in yeah. terms of long game long-term reputation mm. and readability Mm. Uh, or readership yeah. so yeah and th if that's happening with me i guarantee you it's happening with other people as well that's right. but yeah it, it is a changing landscape i know why i can yeah. see why um in the old days i was told the basic pyramid story whereby you formed a pyramid that the the uh each paragraph could survive on its own and mm. every new paragraph was a trip from the top down the pyramid where at the very bottom if you had to lose that bottom bit the rest of the pyramid still stood up and the reader left without needing to know more or without missing out. Nowadays, the headline is in the last paragraph because mm. they want you to go all the way through it. Um, it's, I don't want to sound like a cranky old man or a man from <laughs> a past generation, but you know, it, it's just very different. And mm. I realise that part of the fault is with me. I have to learn to accept that and I have to learn to know that's the way of the world these days. And you've got to be savvy as a news consumer. You've got to yeah. be... You know, you've got to switch your mind on and accept some responsibility. You know, I'm not going to get caught up in that fear. I'm not going to get caught up in that slightly over-the-top misreporting. I'm going to trawl different sites, make my own decision yeah. and go from there. Yeah, also, mate, again, one of the key things I've also learned, not just in, um, what well, you may not have noticed, but I studied journalism too a long time ago. So I didn't, I didn't know that No, I did, mate. It's up there on the wall, the Bachelor <laughs> of Communication and Media Studies from the University of Wollongong. So Fantastic. had a good crack. But um, one of the things I learned in my time studying it was the importance of adaptability as well. So we talked about integrity in reporting and journalism. Um, adaptability is something that's really key uh, to be a good journalist, I find. And you've mentioned it from the NRL the NBL need to go down this path. Uh, sports will need to adapt in this uh, organisations, companies. You hear it all over the news. The government need to adapt. So 
it's an important characteristic that the world needs to learn um, if we are to move through this and and I guess um, come out the other end unscathed in many ways. But from a journalism point of view, um, how important is adaptability um, in your career? And um, do you have any uh, highlights or um, times that you've had to adapt to a certain situation and, and reap the benefits of that? Yeah, I think adaptability comes back to sometimes you're doing a sports story and you might have a, an opinion in your head or you might have a way you think the story's going to go. But... Um, as you do it, you've got to adapt and think, hang on, it's not going to unfold the way I thought it was. I've got to remove that from my mind and follow where it's actually taking me mm. or, you know, um, remove your preconceptions and just allow the story to go where it wants to go, whether it yeah. be even a football game or a basketball game that you're commentating, you might have preconceived notions of what's going to happen and who's going to star. And then as it unfolds, you've got to be willing to let that go and, and not support or be on side with the team or what you thought was going to happen mm. so yeah that adaptability is really significant mm. and um if you get set in your ways and locked into no it's got to be well you shouldn't be a journo if it's got to be your way mm. for a start yeah, but you've point. got to um you can do your preparation you've got to do mm. your preparation and your research and your study and you might think that you've got an idea what's going to happen but you've got to be able to willing or got to be willing to throw all of that away the moment mm. you need to yeah absolutely mate one of the things that people don't realise is the importance of preparation. You touched on it then. Um, mm. You know, you've got to look at uh, stats, players' names. Um, there's a whole myriad of things that you need to, uh, the work you need to prepare in the, um, before you commentate or, or a sports story, that sort of thing. Um, how important is that preparation for you in uh, journalism? Absolutely crucial when it comes to commentary. Um, y you've got to have a, you can do hours and hours and hours. I always laugh that, you know, associates might say to you, oh, what do you do when you're not calling the footy? You must have a pretty easy week. Mm. But to get ready for a few football games and basketball games, you, you've got to really um, know that game better than 99% of the people watching. Um, mm. So it starts with pronunciation because the players are the stars. And if you go through a game butchering their names, then it's an insult to them. An insult to their fans and any credibility you have with anyone who knows how their name is correctly said. So I always, where possible, and this is, it's normally possible most of the time, mm. go to the player and say, how would you like me to say your name? Mm. And um, I've run into problems in the past whereby the player has said um, Smith and distant family relatives have read up and rang up and said, no, it's Smythe. And I've gone yeah. back to the player and he said, no, I've always been Smith. I want, I want to be Smith. Uh, and then the family might say, well, that's, that's being disrespectful to his forefathers, etc." Well, my attitude is very simple. The player on the court or on the football field owns the name. They are the one that is performing at that high level. Mm. So they get the right to say how their name is said. So it's mm. Smith, despite what Auntie Smythe might say. And <laughs> that's the first part about it. You've got to get the player's names right. And then I'll be, I'm lucky to have be it the Fox Sports Lab or the Statman in basketball where I get a, mm. a mountain of information. And I uh, prepare, I've got a manila folder with one team on one side, one team on the other, players' names down the middle. Mm. And I then uh, trawl websites, stats packs as much as I can and mm. put it all in this folder because it's no use going into a commentary situation with a pile of documents 
and not being able and not being able to go to it very quickly. It, sport happens very quickly, mm. so you've got to know exactly where to go in an instant to um, remind yourself of a fact or a figure or a note or a stat. And if you've got a pile of papers, by the time you flick through them, the moment's gone. So I just mm. put it all in a manila folder. That's my cheat sheet. Um, I'll have a, another um, a book of notes beside me that I've prepared. And most of it stays in your mind once you write it out. But when you do need to refer to something, you just look straight down and away you go. You might spend four to six hours doing prep on some games. Other games, you, you, you're ready to go because you've covered in the last few weeks in less time than that. Other times, I got when I had to do some international basketball games, it took days. Mm. By the time you check pronunciations and, and explore what players have done in their past, it really, yeah. covering, you know, World Cup basketball games, uh, it can be a, a big prep time. And mm. I always joke that sometimes you're doing an event um, that might have a fairly small viewing audience. You're spending two days prep. And you might do an event that has a huge audience, but mm. by the nature of it, you're doing only a few hours. Prep. Mm. So it's interesting balancing it sometimes that um, it's out of kilter compared with who's watching, but it's in kilter with what you need to do. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Well, it's phenomenal. It's great to give people that behind-the-scenes view of things, I think. Mm. So uh, that's great, mate. Um, let's dive back into the NBL. You mentioned about its rise and its prominence over the last few years. I think... Um, you know, as you reflect on the rug, uh, NRL, Rugby League, um, a lot of the, the prominent codes in Australia, um, the key reason for this success in the, in the season or the, um, the time in history we are in is having a, a good media profile and mm. um, media presence. So with the NBL over the years, it's struggled. It probably hasn't had that. Uh, but as we've seen it grow, we've probably seen the rise of um, its media profile and presence. Where do you think it stands um, in terms of or ranks in terms of the media profile and presence and what do you think it needs to put in place to really grow and, and grab people's imaginations? Well, in terms of the on-field, sorry, on-court product, mm. uh, I don't think the NBL has ever been better. And it's not me making that judgment. It's the likes of the stats associated with close finishes and high scores, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. During what people see as the halcyon days of the you know nineteen nineties when the kings were were um, you know getting sellout crowds in Sydney and the league was big even though um, uh, it was happening a lot uh, yeah people compare the current era to the the golden era mm. maybe the golden era had a higher profile of basketball at that time but the product wasn't to the same level it is now. Mm. So all we have to do is make sure that the coverage of basketball continues to grow and um, social media should help that. Mm. Uh, the rise of the NBA in Australia as a viewing product should yeah. help that. Yeah. The quality of the NBL itself should help that. Um, there are, over the last few years, we've had it on both free-to-air and subscription outlets like KO, etc. That will help mm. it grow as well. Mm. So. There's expansion happening with um, Southeast Melbourne Phoenix coming in. Next, it'll be Tasmania. So really, yeah. everywhere you look, the indicators are that the sport is on the rise, that it's mm. going to go up. Um, and as I said, it's been delayed this year, December, we're hearing for it to start again. Um, but as long as they can recover from COVID, then the, the sport should take off again. It mm. has a bit more 
financial sturdiness about it mm. um, as well. So, yeah, I, when it comes to the actual media exposure of it, uh, you know, it, it will continue to climb and the standard's already there, really. It's a great entertainment product. I've taken yeah. strangers to basketball to games and they've come away saying, wow, that's really good. I can mm. see why people enjoy going to that. And, yeah. uh, you know, let's face it, basketball to some respects is still an American sport, not ingrained in the Australian culture, like mm. cricket, AFL, rugby league, etc. Mm. But it, it'll come. It'll happen. And, you know, it'll happen in no time. Mm. Absolutely. Um, just want to dive into one of your um, experiences commentating, and it's in international basketball. I really want to ask you about <laughs> this. It was in 2018, July, and you're commentating alongside Shane Hill, and it was the Australian Boomers versus the Philippines. Mm. So that massive brawl um, took place between Daniel Kickett and the Philippines team and everyone else. It was just amazing. Um, what were your initial reactions at that time? I remember you saying that it was, um, I think you stated you'd never experienced anything like this in all your time covering professional sport. Um, what was the mood between you and Shane at that time? And, yeah, what, what, what yeah. It's an amazing experience. Dan, it's a good story because um, it was Australia-Philippines. It was a World Cup qualifier. Australia was expected to win easily. And we thought the biggest story here might be the fact they're playing in a 50,000-seat mm. stadium. And we were told that, you know, the people in the Philippines were going to get out in numbers and this was going to be an amazing atmosphere at an amazing stadium. Um, and the Boomers were going to be, you know, in front of this huge audience. So mm. that was going to be... And comes back to adaptability. That mm. was going to be the big story of the game. Mm. When we um, started commentary, it was a world feed. So very early on, before we even went to air in Australia, we could see that the crowd wasn't there. And doing a bit of research, we found out that the ticket prices, I believe, had been jacked up to an extent that the Filipinos um, protested by not going. Mm. So the, the crowd of 55,000, whatever it was meant to be, didn't eventuate. It was more like ten. Wow. which ultimately proved very, very lucky. Mm, <laughs> it was yeah, true. very lucky. So there'd been a little bit of um, uh, hostility in the lead-up regarding some training sessions where they call it the decal, the advertising on the court was seen to be not quite right. Australians were slipping on it, so they ripped it up. The Filipinos thought that was disrespectful. Then during the warm-up to the game, uh, tradition has it, I'm told, that you don't cross the centre court line when you're doing your shoot-around to warm up. and um, the Philippine team members, I think, might have been in breach of that on occasion, and the Australians had a little bit of um, aggro back at them. So at this point, it's, you know, a bit of nip and tuck mm. in terms of uh, the hostilities. Mm. Uh, and then as the game went on, there were a few other incidents that the Aussies turned a blind eye to. Mm. And this is in the middle of the night. This is 1 o'clock in the morning. So um, we're thinking Australia v Philippines – uh, it's a World Cup qualifier that we have to cover. The audience is not going to be huge at that time of morning. Mm. So we'll get through it, do it professionally, give it you know, respect that it's an Australian international for the boomers, et cetera, et cetera. And we're, we're calling the game. The Australian's leading well. The crowd isn't there. So you think, right, the biggest storyline hasn't eventuated. We're just going to win this and get home to bed, move mm. on to the next game. Then all of a sudden, <laughs> it's like someone threw a sprinkling of crazy dust oh. over the air and the game just exploded and anyone who has seen it will know what I refer to. It just became a vicious all in brawl whereby Australians were pinned under chairs. There was kicking, there was flying fists, um, Chris Golding trapped on the ground, a chair over his chest, 
um, it, it, it was actually, the level of attack was quite sickening in that it mm. wasn't a couple of blokes standing toe to toe having an old Donnybrook. It was dead set street crime gang fighting type of crap. And mm. I use that word deliberately. It was yucky. It was crap. It's mm. not the way that men should go about, you know, men should settle their differences by talking it through, I suppose. But mm. when it does escalate and blokes put stand face to face and push and shove, I remember thinking that, uh, you know, straight away in the back, you're saying one thing and you're thinking something else. Mm. So I'm, I'm thinking this is going to be huge news. This is mm. going to reverberate around the world. The US is a huge market. They're going to be all over this in terms yeah. of an international between Australia, who the US knows quite well, mm. and the Philippines having this sort of violence and flare-up, this is going to... So I thought to myself, firstly, you've got to, you know, uh, switch your brain on mm. and uh, you, you wake up real quick. Mm. Uh, then I thought to myself, you don't want to uh, get caught up in the emotion of seeing mm. Australians pinned on the floor and kicked and beaten. I thought just treat it very professionally, mm. very factually, um, and let the viewers at home make their mind up. Mm. It's not up for you to be screaming about what was good and bad about it. Mm. It's up to you to portray the, um, uh, the story as uh, moderately as possible and mm. let everyone else decide. Now, interestingly, I um, like just before the game started, I thought, now, who's refereeing this game? And I looked at the names and they were complicated, long names. And I thought, Part of me thought, don't worry about that. But I, I just couldn't leave it. So I wrote the referees' names down and I also wrote them down phonetically so I could say them quickly and mm. practice them. And mm. I look back and I think, how easy would it have been not to know who the referees were yeah. and not to be able to refer to them as they were on shot mm. dealing out their punishments. So that was, that was really lucky. And I have total admiration for Shane Heal, who... Mm has worn the green and gold. He's mm. there as an expert. He's not there as uh, the play-by-play. So he could have easily uh, lost himself in the moment. But he also was so balanced, I mm. believe, and mm. really professional. And I, 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 it sounds a bit condescending to say I was proud of Shane Hill because it's not up to me to be proud of him. He should be proud of himself and Australia's proud of him. But I was. He, he, he did his job magnificently. Mm. And... The only time I started to see him getting a bit frayed was when the Filipinos were um, uh, posing for selfies uh, yeah. and treating the matter with levity, uh, sure. that we had to take some deep breaths and, and move on. But it was a crazy night. When I got home, I couldn't sleep. You were yeah, thinking about what had happened. And, and then the phone started ringing at 5.30, and I reckon I did about 40 radio interviews the next day. Um, mm. About, you know, a lot of people would think that we were there, but mm. we just don't have the the budget or the ability to get there and back. So we called it what we call off tube where we buy it. We watch it in a studio. Mm. They beam the pictures in from the venue and for all intents and purposes, there's a huge screen in front of you with all the ambient sound. You can hear the referees, mics, et cetera, et cetera. You are there, but we weren't actually there. So when I was doing these, these radio interviews the next day, every second host thought that I was there or in transit coming back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'd, I'd actually you know, just got off the phone from someone else um, telling them about, you know, what happened and, and you know, out of it, the, the, the fever took a long while to, to hand down any punishments. Mm. Um, and uh, I think the, the boomers should be proud of themselves. I think Shane Hill should be proud of himself. And yeah. it was just a, an ugly incident in world basketball that likes of which I hope I never see again.
Yeah, exactly, mate. I remember watching it just in pure shock by what was happening. But, um, yeah, to your point, I think uh, Australian basketball CEO was Anthony Moore at the time. I think his name was. I yep. thought he handled himself really well. And, yeah, it was um, a dark day in, you know, world basketball. But, um, again, goes back to your point about the importance of detail and research, just going back to the referees. Um, yeah, what a story that was. <laughs> Picking that you, know, you know who was really great? Luke Longley. Um, yes, yeah. He, he was the one who had the foresight to stop the other boomers from running on to help their on yeah, uh, on court colleagues because that's an automatic ejection and that's what mm. uh, the Philippines paid a price for. Mm. Um, but Luke had great foresight there to, mm. um, and it must have been so hard. You can if you see your friend in trouble, you want to go to his help. Mm. But um, I think it was Matty Delavadova and a few others actually stayed mm. at their bench. Mm. Um, because Luke was saying, no, you've got to stay here. And then Luke Longley assumed a leadership role in terms of getting them safely out of the venue and back mm. to the hotel. They actually went to a different hotel to hide, essentially. Not that they mm. would want to be described as hiding, but they mm. certainly had to take precautions to make sure that they diffused any further situations. And then when he came back, um, obviously Anthony Moore and a few others were bound by political correctness. Luke just told it as it was. Mm. He, he was it was so good that we had the... NBA veteran now assisting um, Australia and and able to give that leadership experience and he was he was outstanding. Mm, absolutely, he's a good guy all around and didn't have this on my list of questions, but um, yeah. Speaking of Luke Longley and uh, the Last Dance documentary that came out, did you get a chance to watch it? I, I devoured it. I thought yeah. it was just unbelievable because that happened in an era where you know you couldn't just switch on the telly and watch the NBA. We all knew who Michael Jordan was and we thought we knew what the NBA was. But as you watch this, it's um, it's like taking yourself back in time and looking looking at the NBA, looking at Michael Jordan um, now as an adult or, you know, now as a, a broadcaster. I just thought it was brilliantly done. Um, there were a couple of areas I thought they might have done it a bit differently. I thought the, the questions to some of the talent might have been on audio better, but yeah, you know, I believe that wasn't necessarily always going to be the case, but uh, I, I I think it was outstanding. Mm. You know, and and I hope there are more of them because mm. um, at the time, who would have known that the cameras following the team and getting so much great vision would have actually led to this documentary? Nearly mm. what three decades later? Yeah, that's right. It's well, that was great. Yeah, what do you I think do of it? it? It was absolutely amazing, mate. I was glued to it every moment. I think mm. this podcast came out of that. But um, So I feel like Australian basketball has a lot of stories to tell as well. So hopefully they can tap into it. You know, we do have a lot of history in terms of Australian basketball and the great players we produce. So I'd love to see, you know, some producers get on board and, and try and sell the Australian story of basketball. I think we've got a lot to offer there. So, Well, Matty Logue from Sydney's Daily Telegraph has done a great book on Australian basketball and its mm. development, so that could be used as a, uh, you know, a, a basis, a template, Platform. and mm. yeah, and you're right. You go around Australia and all the people who have contributed to it here and overseas. Yeah, mm. it'd be great to to see more of it. Absolutely, one of those guys they could probably profile in that story is a guy called Damien Martin, and I uh, realised uh, not long well he retired as we know not long ago, but you shared a bit of a. Uh, a tribute to him on your Twitter page. So I'll just get that mm. up and here we go. You said every sport needs a Damien Martin. The NBL has been lucky to have the real one. And uh, the stats speak for themselves. 342 NBL games, six-time NBL champion, six-time defensive player of the year, 
Um, he was a phenomenal player. Uh, no doubt enjoyed commentating his games. Um, yeah, what sparked that uh, that response? And um, yeah, do you think we'll see another player like? No, not for a long time. And it was an easy uh, tweet to post because I saw Damien Martin through the back end of his career. Fox wasn't involved with the uh, commentary prior to that. I obviously saw him play when I was watching games where I could, but only when you're behind the microphone watching every play so intently and studying the stats and you think, mm. wow, this bloke. And, you know, he had a rugby league background from, mm. I think, up near Gloucester, um, inland northern New South Wales, and turned his hand to basketball. Not a particularly big bloke, but I just love a story where through dogged determination, um, any lack of physical features or ability, you more than make up with by A, being um, a real fighter, a mm. persistent person, but also a, a great fellow. Like, there are a couple of them, like Adam Gibson, another veteran in the league. Actually, I'll tell a story about Gibbo that actually relates also to to Damien. Mm. Uh, we were on air with Fox Sports pre-game, and one of the items that was meant to be in the pre-game show didn't make it in time. So we had needed to fill about three or four minutes. Now, um, uh, Gibbo was warming up behind me, and in the ad break, I said to Adam, oh, mate, one of the items for this next break isn't going to get to air. Do you mind if we ask interview you for a couple of minutes? And this was during his warm-up. So can you imagine if a, an AFL team was on the field, you know, 10, 15 minutes before first bounce or a rugby league team was warming up mm. um, and, and a, a media person asked them to leave the warm-up and come and have a chat? Yeah. Gibbo happily <laughs> did it. And yeah. there's been times where, you know, Damien Martin, before huge games, has mm. had to put himself out to come and be part of the broadcast, to talk up the game, to talk up the sport, and he's been happy to do so. They're selfless people who uh, realise that, hey, I'm a professional sportsman, but I'm not an egotistical, arrogant uh, sportsman. I'm a giving person, and I'm going to do this because um, I want to help my club, I want to help my reputation, I want to help my sports reputation, and I've done that. And, yeah, I wish Gibbo all the best. He's uh, so loved because he deserves it. There's nothing mm. fake about him. No. He's a he's a just a, a champion professional athlete who I'm, I hope stays involved with the sport in some capacity. Already, we're going to have the defensive award named after him. Yeah, that's right. But I hope he's involved uh, in other ways as well. Absolutely, mate. Well said as always. But um, yeah, great player, and uh, no doubt we'll be uh, hanging around the sport as you said. Um, just quickly, a couple more questions for you. Um, as you've uh, commentated uh, over the last few years for the NBL in particular, are there any other players that have really stood out in terms of ability and uh, maybe uh, why you've been commentating, just been uh, stuck in awe of their ability and their um, and the way they go about things? Yeah, I'll go back to um, when the Hawks won their championship. It was like a triangle of power. You had uh, Brendan Joyce, uh, a blue-collar uh, coach who loved and fit in so wonderfully in Wollongong. You had Glenn Savile and Matty Campbell, mm. uh, who called Wollongong home and actually still do. Mm. Um, they were adopted very quickly by the locals and, and, and um, now they're Wollongong through and through. Mm. And fantastic people and great basketballers. And on that uh, triangle, you also put the owner at the time, John Carson. That's why they won the championship. Mm. But they also won the championship because of Damon Lowry. Mm. Uh, diminutive Damon, who uh, reckoned he could fix any ill with a bit of apple cider vinegar, as he used to tell me. <laughs> Just put a bit of apple cider vinegar, that'll be gone in no time. I've, I've butchered his accent, but you get the gist. He was a character, right? He was a, a really good person to talk to, to be around. 
And um, the, when those free throws, when he was, um, as he put it, uh, hacked, nearly murdered by Daniel Mee yeah. and sent to the free throw line, needing to make all three. And then the theatre, that third free throw, hitting the rim, is it seven, eight, nine times? And then yeah. dropping to send yes. them through to the grand final series where they beat Townsville. Yeah, there are a couple of my favourites um, from, a, from a different era. Yeah. Um, in, in the modern time, it's really hard to narrow it down because th- there are so many of them. I've, I've liked the, um, the the swagger of Chris Golding. I mm. love seeing the sweet shooting Jason Kadee. I love the defensive application of Damien Martin. Um, you, you, you can go on and on and on. Mm. There, there's someone in every team who you think, wow, that's that's great to be involved with and you know Bryce Cotton's shooting the standard of the Americans you know that we now attract is is outstanding yeah um and then the other day when I called Angus Glover in his Australian debut having come back from repeated horrible knee injuries uh, with a bit of dad's hamstring in there to help rebuild the knee you know there's a great story and there's a star of the future um and and there are others as well be it young old or in between I, I could give you two or three out of every team. Yeah. Uh, but I, I like Robert Rose. Um, I, I loved his competitiveness. Um, yeah, there are, there are plenty of them. Yeah, there sure is. Again, the importance of putting a documentary series together, possibly, to showcase yeah. them all. Uh, but just finally, you've mentioned a few of the player movements that's been happening. Angus, Angus Glover going to the Sydney Kings for starters. Um, as we move towards the NBL season, which we uh, know now will be in December, are there any teams and um, any rosters that you've seen um, starting to unfold or any teams that you've looked at and thought they're going to go really well this coming season? Well, look, I, I'll be honest. I really struggle to keep up. The, the mm. player movement has been so much and I'm yes. immersed a little bit in the NRL season, which is in full swing and takes up a lot of time. So I, mm. I follow all the um, NBL news and information and I'm just aware of a lot of... Mm. Um, good gets by mm. a lot of the teams. Mm. Um, and as I, I'm looking at it thinking, wow, this is going to be another season. This is going to be another, you know, uh, season where we see some top athletes back in the league, where we see um, hopefully close games and, and um, a close competition. Uh, I, I just basically look at it all and think, well, we're on track to do what we've done for the last few years. And that is have um, uh, record-breaking uh, positives about the league in terms of you know closeness of the competition closeness of the games um level of scoring uh, hopefully the crowds which yeah. have been up and up and up that's that's a question mark because of the covid situation mm. but um yeah I, I i think sydney have a good lineup again I, i'm really keen to see what um brian gorgian is building mm. here in in Wollongong under the mm. banner of the Hawks. Mm. Um, I, th- I think he's been, uh, been good. Um, Perth are always up there, aren't they? Mm. Um, Brisbane, uh, you know, they've made some noise. And the Breakers. The, mm. the, the Breakers seem to be, every time I look at a news story out of the NBL or a tweet or a post from Liam Santa Maria or something like that, mm. it's that the Breakers are going to have a, a, a hot squad. Mm. I don't know, and that's the big query, will New Zealand have to base themselves in Australia? Um, yeah, yeah. True. All that that sort of news will will no doubt take shape. Will, will we be playing in bubbles? Mm. Uh, will there be hubs? Um, and if that, that that's 
the case and how it worked broadcasting-wise. There's, there's a lot to be sorted out and there's a, a competition committee looking at all of that and I'm intrigued to see how it goes. Yeah, absolutely. So am I, mate. And we hope to see you back in the commentary seat for the upcoming season. But uh, we'll let you leave you to it. And uh, But thanks for joining us on the More Than A Game podcast, Matty. Appreciate thanks for having it. me, Dan. And yeah, if uh, anyone has supported my work over the years, thank you very much. I hope you've enjoyed the sport and will continue to enjoy it. The Rugby League finals will be on us in no time. And then it's into NBL 21. Looking forward to it. Can't wait. Join you, Dan. Thanks, mate. We'll leave it there. Take care and we'll uh, talk soon. See you, mate.